Hey, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, one of the other partners, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and I love to do this podcast that we call Elder Law Issues because guess what? We talk about elder law issues. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thanks, Robert. I thought maybe that uh, this time we could talk about about a common issue that comes up for our clients when they are having to place, it's usually a parent, but not always a parent, a family member in an assisted living facility or a nursing home or an adult care home or or something like that. We get this call a lot uh, and it is, uh, my mom needs to go to assisted living. I don't have a power of attorney for her. I need to get a guardianship so that I can place her. Is that what needs to happen? Not necessarily, Robert. I think that many times people are told by assisted living facilities or by the outpatient coordinator at a rehab facility or the case manager at a hospital that um, somehow somebody needs to guardian in order to uh, change the living arrangements or get somebody into rehab or something like that. And each case is a little bit different. And yours, it sounds like an elderly person. So assuming that the person does not struggle with something like addiction, but is really, uh, there's changes in capacity that makes it hard for them to sign something, don't automatically jump to the assumption that a guardian needs to be appointed. I think the first question in that thought process is, is there any kind of legal instrument like a power of attorney that would allow somebody to admit someone to um, either treatment or um, sign any kind of paperwork that might be necessary for assisted living? I know that Arizona law says that family members, even if there's no power of attorney, no guardianship, family members can make health care decisions for their ailing loved one. Um, and there's a priority list of who gets who gets first position and later positions. Um, and um, and that sounds like that might solve the problem. Would that health care decision-making authority, would that extend to placement? Well, Robert, it depends. It depends if the placement is going to be somewhere that might be memory care and might be locked. So we see a lot of placements that uh, have memory care units actually be locked units because folks may wander. And so, you know, that's a really dependent on the, the type of placement and the, and the rules in the state where this occurs. That's also, I think, important to consider. But in a general way, I think you'd agree that um, it's worth trying to just assert that you are the child of yes, or yes. the spouse of. What about the circumstance where uh, the statute says the spouses have first priority, maybe your mom is incapacitated, and your dad's just not dealing with it very well, or maybe he's also incapacitated. Then does the statute let you just go down to the next level, to the children? Well, I think you're going to have to be prepared for somebody to ask for evidence of the person who has a higher priority, that person's incapacity or decision not to serve. So I think you're going to have to address it, Robert. I don't think that means that you're necessarily going to have to go through a guardianship process, though. I mean, if you're able to provide some kind of evidence that either your dad is uh, not able to make decisions on your mother's behalf for a variety of reasons, or your dad just says, yeah, I don't want to be in charge of this. I I decline to serve. Um, You'd be able probably to step in pretty easily in a more informal way. I know that uh, what we see a lot in the, is a circumstance where what needs to happen is somebody needs to sign the admission papers, but mom or dad or whoever's going into the facility isn't really resisting. 
they will stay wherever they're taken and and uh, and encouraged to stay. But um, but once they get in, they probably no longer have the ability to put together a plan to leave anyway. They couldn't even call an Uber or a taxi to go back to the house. And so once you get them into the house, into the assisted living facility or whatever placement it is, that might be the end of the inquiry. Does that make it any easier to do this without a guardianship? It's a great question, Robert. I think the thing about a guardianship is that the guardianship is going to cover a whole bunch of different scenarios that might not be contemplated under the terms of a very specific legal document like a healthcare power of attorney where you're going to need to look at the statutory authority and in a couple of other places. So guardianship, there's utility in terms of the scope of authority that a guardian may have. But again, we'd really try with the families that we work with to discuss whether a guardianship is actually needed in the first place and and what we can do to, to actually avoid going down that road because it involves the court, it involves cost, it involves a whole cast of characters, including a court-appointed investigator to assess the circumstances. And so, yeah, we try and kind of head that off to the degrees that we can. Uh, One of the things that we often remind people is that just because you have a diagnosis of dementia or you need assistance with the activities of daily living, it does not necessarily follow that you're incapable of signing documents, including a healthcare power of attorney. So it might be that as you're dealing with your mom or your dad's placement, you might also be able to get them to sign uh, appropriate documents to resolve the problem going forward as well. And as you say, Elizabeth, we almost always would prefer to take that approach rather than go through the court guardianship process. Is there ever a time when guardian is preferred, a guardianship is preferred? I think it depends on who you talk to, Robert. If we talk to providers who oftentimes manage assisted living um, placements or rehab facilities or folks who may be medical providers, you know, they tend to look towards guardianship paperwork as a first first option. And, and they really like the, I think, the court seal on documents and what that means to have authorization by the court to make decisions on somebody's behalf. So I think there are often preferences by those kinds of folks for um, guardianship, uh, but the preferences are not necessarily followed up by cold hard facts. Um, they oftentimes just need to have somebody walk them through a healthcare power of attorney and all of the various provisions in that document that would allow an agent to make really the same decisions that a guardian can make. It just is a process, I think, of talking talking about the documents and walking them through. I, I think you're trying to say in a gentle and friendly way that sometimes the very best caregivers are not particularly good at practicing law. Is that is that what you're trying to yes, tell us? Yes, Robert, yes. Uh, And I I guess one circumstance where we might leap to guardianship quickly would be in a a family where there were really difficult dynamics and a lot of battles back and forth. And and it's not enough to have the authority to solve today's problem. You need to be able to resolve future problems as well. Maybe that's an argument for a guardianship in some cases. I think that's a great point, Robert. I also think that when we see people who have dementia, um, who may have uh, kind of cognitive loss, you on occasion will also see things like changes in behavioral health. And so I think that guardianships can be really helpful in cases where folks can kind of consistently have very hot and very cold days 
run hot and cold with the agent. So if somebody is appointed agent under a principal's health care power of attorney and that principal is getting demented and having a lot of different mood swings, even though he or she may be on medication to help stabilize some of that, uh, those behaviors, it can make a huge difference just to have the consistency of the guardianship paperwork. Otherwise, Robert, you could be in a setting where the principal tries to revoke that health care power of attorney. And that can really, I think, also be a signal to me sometimes for a family if we see um, the principal struggling with behavioral health challenges that maybe a, a guardianship is helpful. Or your little brother shows up with a new form to get mom to sign that, making him the guardian, I'm sorry, the agent on the power of attorney so that uh, so that he can take her home and collect her Social Security money or whatever right. motivation he might have. Well, so here's, I think, the bottom line for people um, Elizabeth, it is that if you are in Arizona and particularly in the Tucson area and you're worried about uh, about whether you have the capacity to get the health care that your, your parent or your other ailing family member needs, we can help. Uh, but when you call and make an appointment and come in to see us, expect us to try to talk you out of guardianship most of the time. Is that a fair characterization? Absolutely, Robert. I think that's spot on. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's what we talk about, elder law issues. And you can't get much more elder law than guardianship of declining parents and, and other adult family members. Um, we are Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. I am Robert Fleming, and the other somewhat higher voice you've been hearing is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy. You've been listening to elder law issues, and we hope you'll keep doing that. Thanks.